Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome into another edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm Neil McCrady, Martin Paloma with me as well today. Uh, and then today on the show, we have Micah McCullough. He's the vice president at UCR Properties. He is a uh, commercial real estate guy. He's in studio with Martin. So we'll, we'll talk about how uh, COVID, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, the evil, uh, the evil disease, uh, we'll talk about uh, how it has impacted commercial real estate, and I'm sure we'll talk about some other things as well. We'll get to that in just a minute. First, let me tell you that I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. That number, call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes and business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. The rest is absolutely up to you. Um. You can shop that quote around. That's certainly your prerogative, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's get into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the service. Uh, you'll love the product. Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove that to you when he makes the, when you make the call, 662-257-1900. Martin, before we uh, introduce Micah and get started, tell the people about Pinnacle Trust and how they can get in touch with you guys. Indeed. <clears throat> um, glad to be back on. Neil, I'm glad to have Micah uh, in studio with me. It kind of feels like we're getting back to somewhat type of normal again to have um, actually a real live living person in studio. We do have uh, quite a bit of distance between us, so we are also practicing safety here. Uh, anyway, um, you know, as I've said before, and, and for our listeners that have that have been longtime listeners, um, we appreciate you, and sorry you're going to hear the spill again. But for anyone that this is maybe their first time listening or or haven't really been paying attention before. Um, Stacy started our firm, you know, a little more than 20 years ago uh, to help folks solve their problems as they relate to personal finance and retirement. Um, and he kind of had a vision to do it a little different than the way it was being done at the time where it used to be, you know, you brought your money to a guy, he uh, sold you a stock, sold you a bond, charged you a, a transaction fee, a commission for that. And then, you know, if you're, stocks or bonds went up or down, he had already made his money. So, um, you know, he was either on to the next commission onto the next trade or either trying to talk you into buying and selling more frequently. Um, Stacy had the idea to kind of put, uh, our clients and the company, um, on the same side of the table. So when our, when our clients, uh, accounts do well, uh, our income is 100% attached to it. So, you know, we do well as also. So in, in good times, uh, everyone wins. And, in times like we had recently when, you know, the market went down very significantly, um, our income is attached to it. So it's you know, very selfishly in our best interest to protect and grow um, our client's savings and investments because that protects and grows our income. Um, you know, and we also are the ones that take all the stress. We're the worry warts for our clients. So, you know, if, if you were doing it on your own uh, in February, March, and your stomach is in knots and you don't want to do it anymore, uh, give us a call 601-957-0323. Uh, you know, or if you were 
uh, with a firm that kind of put their head in the sand and buried, buried their head, um, and didn't, didn't contact or didn't communicate with you, whether it was face to face phone, you know, through a podcast, through some type of announcement system. Uh, that was one of the things that really helped us and our clients kind of ease the anxiety. Um, but you can reach us also through email info at P I N N trust.com. Uh, we're really active on social media. You can either search Pinnacle Trust or Mind on My Money podcast um, on Facebook, on Twitter, and also uh, on Instagram. So give us a like, give us a follow. And if you haven't, if you listen to this podcast and you haven't given us a review yet, either on uh, whatever podcasting network or platform you're listening to, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, what have you, um, give us a review uh, and help us out there as well. Um, and if you need, have any questions that we can help you answer 601-957-0323 or info at P I N N trust.com. Micah, welcome into the show. Really appreciate you spending some time with us. I guess before we get started, tell the people a little bit about you and, and, uh, your background. Sure. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> glad to be here. Uh, hopefully I can uh, impart some, some wisdom on your listeners. Um, it would be the first time that they had any wisdom to, from, from, from us. So that's we'll, a true fact. We'll try. We'll try. Um, so my name is Micah McCullough. I'm with UCR Properties. Um, UCR Properties. Uh, we started uh, with myself and um, Tom Underwood in 2008. Um, their company, the Underwood Companies, have been in business since 1948. Um, they were a, a large residential home builder and developer for for many years, and um, over the years, got into some commercial development and ownership and kind of transitioned out of the residential business in the, the late 90s. Um, and and kind of whenever I, I came on board, at the time, they didn't really offer any sort of, uh, you know, that was just their own properties that they focused on. But um, in the last downturn in 08, we kind of got a, a, a specialty for distressed assets and being able to work with banks uh, and, and bankruptcy trustees to, to help them manage properties, lease them up, and then turn around and, and sell them. So that's kind of how we backdoored into the, the third-party business. We, we got an opportunity to um, to work on some, some bank-owned property for, for Wells Fargo Bank and a, a bankruptcy trustee that, that owned about eight properties uh, in the metro area. And so I said, uh, you know, we, we, we it's a funny story. We made a proposal to this uh, the group out of Boise, Idaho, and they said, well, give us a proposal on what you charge to manage and lease these properties. And um, it's eight properties. And really, all, all, all we need you to do is really just ride around the properties once a month and write out this little report. You know, So I, I was about six months out of school. And I said, you know, man, t Tom asked me, what would you do it for? I said, well, if we could, you know, and we'll split the fee, whatever it is. So I said, well, if, uh, you know, a thousand bucks, man, I can do it in a half day, whatever, you know, we'll do it for a thousand dollars. And so they, they came back and sent us eight individual contracts for $1,000. I meant for the whole thing. They thought we meant per property. Nice. So, so I said, man, this, this could be some, this third-party stuff could be lucrative. And so we kind of, from there, the, the, the ball started rolling downhill. And so now I spend probably 70% of my time um, on third-party properties doing brokerage for other owners, uh, whether it's you know leasing shopping centers or selling investment real estate, um, you know, that's kind of my, my specialty is probably the investment real estate part. And um, but we being a small market, we do a little bit of everything. And uh, so our company today, we manage around a million square feet, um, probably about 50, 50 million dollars worth of, of properties that the company uh, through other entities either owns or we manage for third parties. 
Um, and I've done about 150 million in transaction volume in about 12, about 10, 11 years. So I've been, been in the business for about 12 years. So that's kind of my spiel. Nice. So you kind of jumped in real estate during yeah. a crazy May, time. May of 08, I graduated from Ole Miss with a degree in real estate. Wasn't the best time, but luckily it was yeah. it was the best time because I yeah. learned a lot. Yeah, you got an education. You got a PhD. Yeah. Um, and then so let's talk a little bit about this year because this year was has been kind of a wild year um didn't didn't look like it was going to shape up to be kind of a wild year in the beginning but you know i mean the the coronavirus story the the covid story is it's kind of like the wet part of the ocean it has impacted everything and so very uh in my little small world of how i understand commercial real estate works you know in my head i was kind of like man everyone is working from home I would hate to be an owner of like, you know, commercial real estate and off. And that was, and that was a little bit of my casting a wide net painting a, you know, with wide brush strokes. Cause I realized that not all commercial real estate is just office buildings with offices in it. There are, sure. you know, many different sectors, but so how has, uh, how has this impacted the real estate business for you guys, the, the virus stuff? Sure. So uh, we primarily focus on three of the major food groups, you know, office, retail, and industrial. Uh, we don't really get much into multifamily. I've done some investment sales on multifamily, but from a, from an ownership. And so you know, multifamily is like apartments. apartment buildings yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Okay. Apartments, yeah. Um, and then hospitality, obviously, hotels. Um, yep. we, we don't do as much of those, but I, in the same breath, I, I keep abreast of both of those. Just sure. It's kind of on a national level. But, yeah, it's been a, it's been a mixed bag depending on uh, which sector you look at and, and even what market you're in when you talk about office. Um, you know, in New York City, you've got a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, there was a, a, there's a, a website called Visual Capitalist, and they – put out infographics, you know, that are business related. Well, basically they put out one that in order to get all these people into these high rise buildings with these elevators, basically you'd have to have about a three hour window for if you wanted to try and, you know, four people in an elevator, social distance, you'd have to basically from seven to 1030 every day, you'd have to have basically like a ticket to get, to get in, to get in. And if you miss your window, you're done. You're out of luck for yep. the day. So, it, you know, if you own a 50 story office compl- uh, tower in New York, that's a different story than if you own a, a walk-up garden-style office here in, in Jackson. Yeah, and I mean, so speaking of New York and office buildings, so one of our biggest partners is J.P. Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, they help us out a lot um, from you know, helping us with consulting, but then also you know investment management. And I was having that conversation with them as well. And they have a they have a complex outside of Columbus, Ohio, and um, so they have a seventy-story office tower in Midtown Manhattan. And then they have this massive sprawling complex. It's only three stories tall, um, but also everyone essentially drives to work in Columbus where in New York, everyone, most of the people were walking Mm -hmm. public transportation and they said everyone's work from home in their New York office, but the Columbus, Ohio, they had no issues at all with getting people into the buildings, to their spaces with distance and whatnot. So that does make sense. Major major focus on density and and, and urban areas, I think are going to be the ones that are impacted the most um, in the short term anyway. Um, But also in the past few years, you you know, sticking with office, you'd seen a, this trend of whenever I first got in the business, it was probably, I don't know the exact number, maybe 300 square feet per office worker was kind of the ratio. Well, fast forward to now, 
10 plus years later, it's probably more like 200 square feet, maybe even smaller in some yeah. environments. So it's shrunk. And so it's shrunk substantially. Yep. So, you know, people are like, oh, there's going to be this glut of office space. Everybody's going to work from home. I don't necessarily see it that way because I think you're going to see that trend start to reverse. Uh, and so, and because of that, certain people will need more space to offset the people that are going to work from home. I don't think everybody's not sustainable for everybody to work at home. So yep. I think hopefully on par, you know, you don't have this mass glut of office vacancy that, you know, some people are predicting. Well, you know, and I do wonder like places that, and I guess from an investor standpoint, let's pretend that I'm an investor and I've got, you know, all this cash or I've got an investor group that's got cash and we're wanting to go build, you know, an, an office complex per se. I mean, what would you tell people to do? Is it, you know, go to the rural spaces and try to attract the firms that are, you know, the big city firms to, yeah, to I, lease your space I, I think and you might spread see workers out? Or? Some of that um, in our market, probably, you know, it's going to be, we have enough product that needs to just be redeveloped. Yes, we uh, do. You probably, <laughs> there should never be another office building built in, in Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi ever. Yeah, um, we have tons of vacancy downtown. Right, right. And and two, you know, like, you know, not to call names, but Horn, they built that building across the street. Well, they pulled out of 90,000 square feet. Yep, so, so that's now a it's got to be filled. a hole that's got to be filled. So Yeah. And they're, they're, we're, we're actually working with a client right now that's looking at possibly leasing some space in the building and, and um and if, back to your question, I think the the opportunity is to buy existing office assets and, and then re, like remodel and then it. Remodel or, it. You know, yeah. if you find find somebody who's a twenty thousand square foot building that was a call center, well, that call center is not going to look the same. Yep. And that call center may move. Well, then you've got this shell of a building that you need to go in and, and retrofit and repurpose. I think those will be the opportunities. You know, to buy at a discount because you know the building has some which call, you know, obsolescence that needs to be cured. And, and that's where the money could be made on, you know, buying something well below replacement cost versus, you know, going and building something new. It's just not, you know, users can sometimes justify building new, but the cost of, of land and the cost of construction, you know, you're going to, for instance, if you wanted to go build, I've got a client that we're looking at possibly buying about a 25,000 square foot office building off Island Colony. And it's probably, you know, depending on the income and all that, probably worth 165 to 175 a foot, something like that. Well, to go build that would cost probably 250 a foot, exactly gotcha. like it sits. So it just, and the rents aren't going up. You know, we're pretty well a flat rent market. I would imagine know, so. And so, because there's plenty of space. Oh, you have space, to get, yeah. you know, supply and demand in order to get upward pressure on rent. So I think, uh, I think there'll be some opportunities like that, that maybe companies' business model changes, companies go out of business. I think there'll be, be a way to, to, to snag some, some deals maybe. So for some of our listeners that might be like guys that invest in group in investment groups or syndications um, or syndications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think it's going to be harder for the smaller guys to be able to get good opportunities at commercial real estate? Is it going to be like the, really the bigger players are going to be cornering the market now? Or do you think that, that there'll still be opportunities for, for the smaller guys. I think there'll be some opportunities. Um, I think you'll see uh, businesses that have a good business model that own real estate try to monetize it, and some of them being smaller. Yeah. So I think you'll see some some sale leaseback type transactions that might allow your smaller guy to, to come in and structure a deal and, and have some safety in the, the real estate and the, and the operator 
has a history long term with doing something. Um, so I, th- I think there's some opportunity there. I think there'll be some opportunities in the larger properties, probably more than smaller, uh, typically because of the type of financing that they have. Um, the commercial mortgage-backed securities market um, is is you know heading back towards 08, and, and it was it was. It ended up not being as big of a problem as everybody thought it was going to be, but there was still a pretty good fallout from from that particular market, and I think you'll see some opportunities there where it's not like your friendly banker, you can go sit in his office, it's a bunch of bondholders yep. who want their payment and yep. don't don't care. So if, if your debt coverage ratio gets out of whack and they can take the property back and make money off of you, then they're going to. They're going to. Yep. I mean, I would. Yeah. So uh, let me shift gears on you real quick, because one of the popular things that we would hear from a lot of the talking heads was... Um, beware of, you know, and tenants trying to renegotiate rents or leases or, um, you know, or have some type of forbearance. Some of the things that we had talked about in previous episodes was, you know, Greece went down this path in 2010, got themselves into kind of trouble with, um, you know, with, with some of the forbearance and some of the forgiveness. And it just kind of started this domino effect of, you know, this guy doesn't get paid, which doesn't pay this person, which doesn't pay a bank, which doesn't pay a, you know, so on and so forth. Sure. And then you have to layoffs and, and you like the domino effect of, 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 um, you know, uh, of, of, of an economic collapse in the space begins to happen. What have you, what have we experienced or what has your company sure. experienced in that regard? So far, um, I think the, the, the chain, the, the federal government gave banks, leeway to work with borrowers which then gave borrowers leeway to work with tenants had that not happened it would have been a much bigger debacle so uh, you know all, all all the lenders pretty well you know said hey talk to me let's have a conversation right and, and in, in instances where it made sense to hey let's do 90 days interest only or just a straight 90 day forbearance and, you know, we'll tack it on to the end. Every bank had a little bit different strategy um, to how they got accomplished, which then gave the landlord the ability to go to the tenant or the tenant, you know, came came to landlord. I think we were pretty good about being proactive of of communicating with our tenants and trying to, you know, provide them with resources. We set up a a web page on our website that had, you know, links to, you know, the PPP and the different programs out there that were available and communicated that to them. So they, you know, felt like it was a partnership and it was because we ultimately, you know, some tenants, we might've given half a month rent abatement for two months or a month complete rent abatement. You know, we, we haven't seen any sort of large scale, Hey, I can't pay period. There there hasn't been, been that or Hey, I got to shut down. Um, it's been, been incremental and, and calculated, Hey, this is my sales are off this much, you know, but it's it's you know this is this is how we're gonna work it out. So I, I think it's been really good. Luckily, we don't have any. We have we have one client who has a CMBS loan, but they had just bought it and have a huge reserve on the front end that they were required to set up. So they had staying power versus sure. some other ones that that may not have. So luckily, all of ours is local bank financing. Yeah, I was gonna say from in Mississippi, like commercial mortgage backed securities is those those that type of financing is probably fewer and further in between sure. than going to. Yeah, a local bank where you know your banker and I, yeah, I would say and, uh, that can get the, some help there. Yeah, the vast majority of people use you know local bank financing yep. in Mississippi. So you know, and uh, and I know a lot of uh, we have a couple of clients that are in the commercial 
you know, in the commercial real estate space. And most of the time they kind of have a, you know, a strip center type mm-hmm. area that'll have, you know, maybe an anchor client that would be, I'm just going to make one up. Just say it's like Kroger is the anchor tenant and, you know, and then they have a bunch of little mom and pop offshoots that are, you know, the nail salon, sure. the, you know, pet dry cleaners, dry cleaners yeah. uh, you know, pet food stores mm-hmm. or paint stores, just the, the little mom yeah. and pops. You just described the one we have in Brandon pretty much, yeah. Well, that's actually <laughs> the one I was thinking of in my head because it right. just, right. it actually, uh, that was actually the one I was right. thinking of in my head. A Little Caesars pizza. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, have you seen, I know, so for the ones that have tenant anchors, especially if they're like grocery stores or, um, you know, things that did well during, um, you know, COVID-19, did the mom and pops benefit from the traffic? Um, of those anchor stores, certain and, ones did. Um, nail salons, hair salons. Yeah, they were know, all shut down. They were shut down, yep. and so you know we pretty well on par. You know, worked with them okay. all. Um, but you know, like your, um, like for instance, a, a restaurant that maybe was in that grocery anchored center. Yep. You know, I, several that we've talked to, sales actually have gone up, and because they have pivoted, right? They've pivoted, and and some, uh, you know, in addition to that their labor costs is down because they're not having to have servers inside. Sure. The that makes sense. And not as many people. So, you know, it, it's several restaurants that I've talked to actually, you know, if you're not, as long as you're not fine dining or, or only sit down, you're, you're probably, you know, you're, you're probably okay on, on par. Um, you're at least not, you know, hemorrhaging money like yep. you might have, have been. Um, so it, it, I, th- I think all things considering retail, uh, you know, the clothing, if you're, you know, the ones that have been struggling already, this is kind of going to be the nail in the coffin for yeah. a lot of them. But I think you're also going to see, um, you know, any, any sort of discount retailer or they're doing phenomenal. Yep. Um, you know, so I, I think retail's not all doom and gloom. It, if you listen to the media or right. to the news, I'm not, I'm sorry, Neil, I just said media. I cast you guys in a wide <laughs> and with a wide brush. But like, if you listen, we deserve it. We deserve <laughs> it. <laughs> but if you're listening to you know, your Fox News, your CNBC, your MSNBC, your CNN, pick your flavor. It doesn't matter which one, right. you know, it is. They're talking about death of the, you know, of the brick and mortar, sure. you know, if retail you space. If you own an enclosed mall, you're probably in trouble. Yeah. If you've got open air strip centers and, and say your tenant mix is 50% smaller, small shop space or more, you're probably okay if you've got a few of the big box junior box type stuff yeah. that's still selling stuff. People are still buying. I mean, if you go out to the, those open air centers, they're yeah, busy. It's, it's busy. They're busy. You know, and that's what we talk about that, that small business is the lifeblood of our economy. And a lot of small business, you know, can really be bucketed into, you know, you got your retail space, but then there's the industrial let's, and we haven't talked about industrial yet as well, but, you know, I kind of look at your, at the area and, and, and you guys are probably the first ones to know if there are, if there's stress in an area, because, you know, one of the first, I mean, people are going to pay their electricity, you know, business is going to pay their electricity bill to keep electricity on. But if they're in, if they're in trouble, they're probably going to come to you guys and go, Hey, um, I don't have the cash flow to pay rent this month. Right. And will can you, you work my with second lender? Yeah. Do you, <laughs> can you help, can you help me out here? So my question to you is we hear if we just watch the TV and listen to all the talking heads, it's, it's awful out there, right? It's bad. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. 
what are what are y'all actually seeing though? Is it as bad as? And I know that we're a little microcosm of sure the United States, but if you look at Mississippi and metro area or anywhere in the state, I'm sure you have access matter. to numbers from all over the U.S. and your association. Uh, oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, it's it's not as bad as as it, as the media paints it 100. Sure. percent I will say it, it has been slightly better than I thought going into this, you know, I, I, I'm pleasantly surprised that we haven't had really any, you know, at this moment and, you know, subject to change tomorrow. Yeah, if we get knock on wood. Shut down. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, 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 the amount of working with tenants that we had to do is much less than what I thought we, we, I, for June, you know, April, May, certainly, you know, we were working with tenants yep. very actively doing things. June, and July have been, you know, people paid their rent and they've, you know, hadn't, hadn't called and said, Hey, it's going to be late. Or, you know, our collections, you know, going into this and now are probably about the same, you know, the same tenants that yeah. didn't, didn't like to pay on time before are, are still those same tenants. And, and, uh, the ones that, that were paying like clockwork have kind of picked back yeah. up even yeah. the national tenants, even on a retail basis. I mean, uh, you know, TJ Maxx we have as a tenant, <clears throat> which they're one of the better ones to have. They closed down. They paid rent. They didn't. <clears throat> they didn't try. You know, a lot of your national tenants, if you look, they uh, they said we're not paying. Sure. You know, force majeure clause. You know, things have changed. You know, which most leases didn't have much of a hat to hang on. Few few did, but uh, you know, they paid. Never. We never got a call from them. That's awesome. You know, because you know, I mean, I, I do wonder sometimes, and I, you know, I mean, I'm, I guess I have a, a a little bit of a pulse on on what some of the reality looks like from economy, just looking at data. And most of our listeners are, you know, they have jobs that are not at all looking at, you know, commercial real estate or, or looking at data or looking at the economy. And, you know, they're normal people going about their normal lives and they have kids or grandkids and stuff that they're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder with, with what you, what you hear coming out of the mouth of, of the major news networks versus what reality is, you know, if they don't have a, a buddy or a show like this where we can bring on people and that are in the industry and say, hey, yeah, it sucked for a few months, but things are kind of getting back to normal. So the, there's a word that Neil loves to use, which I think is great, or a phrase, and he calls it fear porn because that's, <laughs> that's what a lot of yeah, the talking it, heads sell. Yeah, sensationalism. But, yeah, but yeah. it's just – I mean, yes, February and March sucked for everybody. Um, I think the the equal it was equal opportunity suffering for mm, for sure. everyone. Right. But you know you hear you you hear a lot of the hey we're gonna have to you know give away more money we're gonna have to give away more stuff we're gonna have to do more things for for people and businesses and then you hear you know if I bring on someone like you to come on and say hey are businesses okay are they paying their rents or are they you know are they asking for you know a year's forbearance and then you say you know, everything's kind of back to normal. I mean, that's a, that's a great message. That is, that should bring comfort to let people know that, Hey, things, and I know with sports and whatnot, we're not there yet with back to normal. Sure. Um, but, and I think some of it was some of the measures that the government did put in place that has helped get us to here. And, and so, you know, with, are they going to renew some of that, that stimulus money or the unemployment? And so I think right. that certainly has put money in the economy to, to prop up some of those. If we didn't have that, yeah. I think it would have been obviously a lot, lot worse, but I still think on par things are getting back to yeah. how it was. I mean, and honestly, we're probably, 
we're probably two to three years away from sure full employment back to where it was. I mean, and that was at historical lows anyway, but you know, and I kind of think about, Oh, let's just use the restaurant business. For example, let's say, you know, your restaurant, just like you described, your restaurant goes to curbside. Uh, they don't need as many servers as they had. So, you know, if they had to temporarily shut down for whatever reason, maybe it was, you know, the area they were in was, is a forced shutdown in their country and like New York or something like that. So when they open back up, you know, let's just, we're going to use round numbers. Let's say they had a hundred staff members and they need to bring back 50 cause they've got a curbside and all that stuff. But so those come back on quickly. It's that next 50. What do you figure out? What happens to the next, that other 50 that didn't, um, you know, that didn't get called back and sure. you know, getting repurposed. And, and that's, what's going to take, you know, Time. a few years to yeah. kind of work out, but still that's, we're still not in a dire situation of, you know, panic and pandemonium. And, you know, the government needs to be our savior because dear God, I don't want the government to be yeah, our savior. Nobody's yet. looking like it at the moment. No. And I mean, and look, and I don't want the knock on the door. That's like, Hey, we're the government. We're here to help. Right. Right. Sure. Like, it comes with, comes with strings <laughs> uh, or handcuffs and yeah, chains. Yeah. Yeah. That's more better analogy. <laughs> um, yeah. But so, I mean, those were some of the kind of things I was wanting to get you to talk about. Yeah, was and, just... and another thing, you know, talking you know, from an investment standpoint, since I do probably over half of the my total transaction volume is in investment sales each year, which is selling to, you know, same investor that might buy stocks and bonds and right. wants to diversify and, yep. and, and own uh, real, real estate, estate direct. Yep. Um, I had a couple deals that, one, that probably went away, might not come back, the financing for the product type. Um, self-storage their lender just said hey sorry we're just not we're not comfortable lending out that much money on a, on a deal right now really and, and so i would think that like oh and, 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 and fast no forward idea, I mean, some some articles and said hey self-storage has done really really well i would this, th- this I would was going to be that. a, a, a redevelopment play and gotcha they were paying probably too much for the land but they didn't you know i mean you got to think so i mean i'm going to be super elementary here and you'll probably be like martin dude you're you're there's so many things you're not thinking about but i would think that self-storage would be a fantastic investment. I mean, you essentially buy the land once, right? You sure. put a tin shed if it's outdoors. <laughs> and if I, if it's an indoor facility, you got to do sure, a little more. Sure, but, sure. And then you just cash. Because, all right, I'm going to, mm, I won't say, I have a family member that has had a storage unit for 10 years, sure. 12 years, sure. paying yeah, you know the attrition, 100- the attrition rate can be can be high sometimes. People just you put it there and you don't want to go get you it. You don't want to go you get it, go and that's what it is. And yeah. that's it's funny because that's that's the whole thing is just like, oh, I got to drive out there, got to look, and it's always summertime when we think about it, right? So it's like, you know, in Mississippi, it's a hundred and it's an outside. Yeah, that storage. might be the worst thing ever. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like, man, that's um. Yeah, it certainly that's it's a it's a viable business model, and a lot of the some of the national articles have been, hey, it's been good because people are at home more. They got junk laying around. They want out of their house. Yeah. You know, they want to clean, you know, clean. Maybe so Neil and I are going to, we're going to open up a self storage. We're going to build a self storage. That's I, our next, we're going to become billionaires. I got Hey, I might be looking for work soon. So I mean, that's, that's, uh, I got a great that's a possibility. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm listening. Uh, Mike, Micah says he's got a great site for us, Neil. So, um, I've, I've always had a passion for self storage. And, uh, I mean, if there's no football, it might be time to exercise that that passion. There you go, there you go, dude. I mean, and it's uh, you know, Neil, it's it's it, that's this is a this is a potential venture for us, man. We're gonna be billionaires, man. On self storage, I'm all units. ears. 
I'm all ears. <laughs> I, I mean, you think I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I might sound like I'm kidding. Yeah. But well, no, and, I mean, and, and to kind of, you know, segue and stealth storage, you know, into the industrial sector. Um, you know, we, we hadn't talked about that yet. It pretty much seems unscathed. Yeah, <clears throat> and know. I don't understand how is Mississippi not uh, an industrial warehousing mecca uh, because our cost of real estate is so low so, so, relative to the rest of the country. You know, for your true uh, logistics, you know, people, they're looking at dots on a map. Yeah. Map in, in I would state. think that Jackson would be a great, I, but I, I may be wrong. Jackson is a good secondary distribution market. So, you know, we're very on... 20 and 55, yeah. halfway to Atlanta, halfway I mean, and Dallas, then you got 49 to, hit. to New Orleans. Uh, you know, it, yep. it, 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 it seems right. It would seem that way, our but pro- for whatever reason. it's Our problem is the, the product type uh, that we have, our existing product type, is older, lower, clear height buildings. And the cost to build new construction, if, that, if, they're, if somebody's looking at warehousing something and they can pay, you know, 4 or $5 in Memphis a foot, Versus, if I was going to go try to build that same facility here, it would probably be six to seven dollars a foot, because that facility in Memphis has been there twenty years. Right, and they built it. They were forward thinking, and we're behind the eight. Well, and, and and logistically, they you know they've got uh, intermodal transportation. Yeah. they've got rail, rail. They've got water, and um, then also the massive FedEx. Sure, and FedEx. And, so so it's we're we're handicapped a little bit, but we're a great secondary market for some people, and which brings me to. I think that trend may reverse some because you're going to because it's still just as expensive to build that building in Memphis but as space continues to get absorbed there it's going to push people to other to, markets to make new space. But the 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 real thing is the supply chain. Yep. And we saw how that's not going to work long term with what happened in in China and so, everything being made in China. So if we bring manufacturing back to the US, I, they're going to need places to Sure, and Mississippi store their has stuff, lots right? of manufacturing facilities that yeah. in small towns that could still be have, that I think that could possibly get retooled yeah. and things like that. So I think that's a possibility, but, but I also think, um, you're going to see, and I didn't, I didn't make this up, but instead of just in time, you're going to see just in case, mm. you know, you, you can't, you can't have something be three weeks across the ocean and that supply chain get disrupted and yep. you just don't have it. You, know, you saw it with stuff, you know, the, the stores, yeah, you know, grocery stores, no, no products, and you know, so I think you're going to see people warehousing things for the if and when something happens to their supply chain. Yeah, it's like non-perishable stuff. Yeah, they'll have some redundancy. Whereas in the past, you just solely relied on how cheap can we get it over here, you know. Yep. But if you can't sell it, it doesn't matter how cheap it is to produce it. Neil, are, are you taking notes, man? Because this is Micah is laying out our business plan for. <laughs> I am. I'm. I'm, I'm feverishly uh, <laughs> writing this down, and and going, I'm going to study it. And yeah. when you and I put our our mission statement together, this this will be reflected. Perfect. I'll I'll um I'll I'll go ahead and sign my disclosures to Pinnacle that um <clears throat> that we're we're going into the warehousing and the self storage <laughs> business, and we're not going to be competing with Pinnacle for for clients or 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 anything like that, but. Yeah, I feel safe that this does not um, this does not interfere with my non compete with rivals. <laughs> I, I, I feel pretty good. No need that, for the disclosure. That they'll look at it and just say, oh, "Okay, cool, go for it." <laughs> Have you fun, be man. you. Yeah. You you do you. Live your best life, Neil. So, um, so Mississippi obviously is 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 
you know, we're starting, we're starting to get some big manufacturing facilities here. You know, we just got, uh, the continental tire right. plant. Then you have up in the kind of the golden triangle just seems to be on fire with attracting, um, you know, outside businesses to come build facilities here. Um, I have, and I guess it's, they've had a really good leadership in the golden triangle that has been able to yep. to really go seems, out and seems to be the case. And, and attract that. Um, what do you think kind of the future? I mean, so let's fast forward beyond COVID-19 and coronavirus. Cause I'm, I'm, I've got so much fatigue oh, on, God, and I'm, and I know everyone <laughs> does. It's, I'm not, you know, not so definitely not making this that I'm the only person, but, um, so what, what does the future for, and I know when I say commercial real estate, like that's a, there's so many fast and we've just, sure. we've talked about a few of them, but you know, do, do you see that commercial real estate is going to continue to expand in the U S um, you know, is, do you see contraction in the space or, um, well, I think, you know, real estate ticks off two things, population and jobs. Yep. Um, so Mississippi has, you know, somewhat of a, a tough road, but, you know, with those things and tracking those employers that want, you know, want to bring higher wage jobs, which ripples through the, the economy. Yeah. Um, and, and unfortunately population growth is, you know, heading in the wrong direction everywhere, yep. you know, just in general. And we're not, uh, not having as many kids and, and things like that. So, you know, to really see a huge upward trend is probably not, practical but i think you know mississippi we're lucky because you know we're steady eddie we're, we're not we don't boom we don't bust yeah you know we, we may be be last to the race but you know we we usually get there and so i think you'll continue to see that trend i don't see anything you know a subject to you know somebody doing something crazy i mean like google north mississippi they yeah, just announced an oper operation center you know some things like that that could change the perception of mississippi and right and, and the reality of hey some of these higher tech type companies i mean because that's where you know every every business i don't care what it is is going to get disintermediated somehow yep. in the next 10 years due to technology yeah technology is the biggest disruptor yeah it's going to happen and so, so you don't you don't believe that that this last five months of people working from home is going to lead. I know it will to some degree, but you, you think at some point companies will say, Hey, we, we were more efficient when we worked out, out of an office. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I firmly believe that. Um, you just can't, you know, a, a big thing on companies that are successful culture, you know, how do you have culture? I'm interviewing you as a new hire out of college that, hey, come work for our great company. You're never going to see us, yeah. you know, other over a Zoom meeting. You just can't create that that synergy. And, and I found myself just personally, we, we worked from home for a month and a half or so, but I'm hesitant to pick up the phone and call somebody because I don't know if I'm interrupting them doing something at their house, you know, so I would send an email. So it delays the, the response time and, and the efficiency of things and, and it, too, you know, again, some people, maybe 10, 15, 20% of people, I don't know what the number is, are okay and can work from home. Some people need to be in an office environment and not distracted. When I was in college, I went to the library to study because if left to my own devices, I might cut the TV on or walk to the refrigerator or you yeah. know, whatever the case. <laughs> Have a be. beer in the middle of your study. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think I agree. I 100% agree on the culture piece too. I think that, uh, you know, culture is something that you absorb by being around people, seeing how they work and, you know, how things are done from a company perspective. <clears throat> and 
I don't know the statistic. I'm going to pull it out of my rear end. But we were, and Neil, you might actually know the statistic because you've been work from home for, what, five years, six years, something like that. But there's a, I mean, I think there's a large cross-section of the of the world that was already work from home that will continue to be that way. Um, there may be some, you know, where I see us going is um, a, like a hybrid as well because we saw that work from home worked. So, um, you know, if we have uh, someone in the office that has a sick kid, uh, it's we have the infrastructure there already to say, hey, instead of, you know, having to take your sick days, go take care of your kid, but, you know, you can take your laptop with you, you know, and don't take a sick day, you know, don't take vacation time to take care of your kid. And, you know, and if we need something, we'll, we'll buzz you. Or if you want to get in while your kid's asleep or resting. Yeah. I think the structure of work is going to change and and the, the employer flexibility is going to change. This is kind of tested like, Hey, can I trust my people to actually do it from home? Yeah. And and, and some you can, you know, (laughs) and and so some you can, and then, some you can't. Right. And, uh, right. So I think I think I think you will see an uptick in the amount of people that will work from home in the future. But in the same breath, I think you're not going to be cramming, like I said earlier, cramming all these people into the office building. And so I think those two trends on par will hopefully keep you know office space occupancy at similar levels to what they have been. Sure. You know, I'll and, tell you this, Martin. Go ahead. If, now. if everybody in my house continues to have to do school from home and work from home. <laughs> I, yeah. I want an office. I do too. I, I want some place where I can go. I, I, I need, I need some me space. Well, I mean, gosh, Neil, you even remember just when we were trying to do podcasting, when, you know, everyone was uh, using the bandwidth, it would be, you know, we, so Neil and I did uh, a podcast. I like to refer that as the dark ages. That, <laughs> those, those were bad. Those were bad days. During the dark ages, Neil and I did a podcast and literally, and fortunately he recorded on his side too, but literally almost every word he said was the, you know, you would get the, uh, what, Blip. Ta-da, what, right. What, yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't hear it. I could see his mouth moving on the screen. I couldn't see any, I couldn't hear anything. And same with me. So what I ended up having to do was I took my recording and I took his recording and I laid them on top of each other and I pulled out, like it's, uh, I just overlaid when I talked and then when he was supposed to talk. So I, it took me like four hours to say, edit. That seems like and a very not fun process. So it's funny because on the podcast we're like we're saying, "Oh, this is going to be terrible." When people listen to this, it's going to be every oh, you can't hear it. And then our <laughs> listeners listen, and it's like perfect, clean as a whistle. And we sound we you know, we sounded like we were idiots talking about, "Oh, this is awful quality. This is right. going to be terrible." That's and, funny, but it took. It took hours sure. to, oh, to yeah. edit that. Yeah. But yeah, the bandwidth, and Neil, I totally agree with you, man. Bandwidth and even personal space. Like, I need a mental health break from, I love my family, but work gives me a mental health break from sure. my family. And then I go home and I get a mental health break from work, and there is some some balance there. Work-life um, balance. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, I think that the way people use real estate will be different going forward. I know... You know, if you told me, hey, Martin, design Pinnacle's office right now, you know, you can redesign it. How would you do it? You know, I would probably chop down some of our space, you know, square footage wise, but I would build us, you know, four large conference rooms to, you know, where we could have meetings and you could space out and all that stuff too. And then I would just have these little workstations, you know, in sure. the back where you could just plug in versus having a office, Dedicated quote unquote. Office, yeah. yeah. And I mean, and just be able to, 
to pivot and move. I certainly and be think flexible. you will see, like I say, the office layout today. You know, it used to be everybody wanted a private office. Yeah. Then the last ten years, that trend has been yeah. blow it out, wide open, collaborative. And then you had already seen kind of some people and some studies coming out saying, mm, maybe that's not the best. Uh, you know, for efficiency, it sounds good. Hey, we all here. We're everybody's doing and there's yeah. some synergies there and there might be but i talk a lot yeah you've always everybody's got that one person off that's that, me that they talk about when they're not there yeah because, that's me yeah, right so. so i'm the disruptor right i'll run around and high five everybody and ask them how their mom is doing right. and how the kids are and the dogs and the cats and right and they're right. like just god please shut up guys so i can get my work done <laughs> right right uh, that's me i'm that guy so so i think i think we had already seen some of those trends starting to come to light so i think that will continue to happen and you'll see a mix of like you say, some co- common type spaces, but you know you, you won't the, you won't have all, everybody won't have a private office, but you may ten people may share seven offices or something, and you know you may work from home one day and yeah. you know you're out in meetings. It's just it's it's gonna every business and the structure of the business is gonna be different, but certainly you will see the the shape and feel of office layouts change again yep. over the next ten years. And then, like, so from an industrial standpoint, you're probably not going to see a lot of changes there, right? No, I mean, they're I, already I kind of spaced out. industrial is good. I think you will see some opportunities <clears throat> from the investment side of people who had businesses that were great and somehow have been affected by this, and, and they're going to need to raise some capital to see to the other side of it, mm-hmm. you know, because their sales are going to be disrupted. So yep. we're working on a transaction like that right now. Um that uh, that owner put it on, you know, they they're in sixty thousand feet. Well, right now they only need thirty thousand feet. Right. And uh, but they like where they're at. It's great for their, you know, supply chain where they're located. They're in a great spot for our, in our area. <clears throat> and so they're they don't want to they don't want to move. They don't want to move. Yeah. And so they just don't need the other half of the space. So we were able to buy at a discount, you know, to what it would cost if it was, you know, if they were in there long term. But yep. knowing that the strategy is they could either a move and downsize at some point in the future. And if we find somebody to replace them, we'll say, hey, nice knowing you. They get to preserve their cash. They're not selling their real estate at a 30% discount because it's vacant. Right. They're getting some benefit from, you know, agreeing to stay for a period of time. So I think you'll see some hybrid type transactions in the industrial space like that. And then people are going to be, it's also going to heat the market up because that's the one sector that seems to be unscathed. And it was already a hot sector. So I think, you know, if anything, you're going to see values go up, it will be industrial but they certainly won't go down. I don't think you'll see, you know, any sort of, you know, cap rates, which we have talked about, but won't be, you know, I don't think you'll see any disintermediation there. I think you'll see them maybe if they don't compress, they'll certainly stay, stay where they're at. Right. Um, so I, I would, yeah, the bright spot definitely is industrial. It seems to be, you know, you know, pretty unscathed. So, so Neil, we're going into industrial, um, and self-storage. All right, and warehousing. Right. <laughs> how, much, how much capital do we need to get get started on that? It's um, you can. We'll just make we'll we'll make it work. Uh, right. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, so like, I mean, I know Neil just asked that question, and he was probably being serious. You know, if for someone that was saying like, "Hey, I want to, I want to diversify my sure in my portfolio," and and I've got the stocks and bonds, and <clears throat> you know, and 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 I don't have an income producing asset that's that's high income producing. Um, you know, so let me get into the commercial real estate. How do, how do people do that? And then yeah, sure. I and mean, then how, like Neil said, how it, much it certainly how much money do you have is, is some. I would highly recommend working with somebody 
that that knows what they're doing. Right. Investment real estate is a beast of its own. Right. Same thing with stocks and yeah. bonds. I'm not gonna go try. I have no idea. Me either, dude. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call Martin if I if I need help with that. But but certainly, like one of the designations I have is a CCIM, which is Certified Commercial Investment Member. Yeah. And it's basically the gold standard. Soup to nuts. Yeah. Investment real estate. So. You know, definitely, I you know encourage working with somebody that has that designation. Um, if you're if you're trying to get in into that and have no knowledge of it, um, it will save you a, a lot of brain damage. And two, they'll they'll be able to find you know opportunities that you might you might not even not have know. access to. I mean, uh, you know, it's and it really surprises me the amount of people, and you may experience this too that that are in business that think they know everything about business regardless of whatever it is. So yeah. it, it amazes me how many people will go out and lease space or buy a building or buy or build a building, or build a building. That's the worst. They, when they don't ask what happens is 10 years from now, you outgrow the building or don't need as much space. And you call me and you built it just for yourself. And you did something that made it just much less desirable to the for next anyone guy, else, yep. you know? And so you're going to take a, a 25% hip. discount, yep. but, but certainly, you know, uh, and I always tell people, I can't help you after the fact. I get calls all the time. Hey, I just signed this lease, and this guy's telling me, you know, ABC, you know, what should I do? I said, well, first off, you should have called me first. I said, <laughs> after you've already signed it, there's not yeah, much you're I can, in it. can do, you know. Um, but, yeah, people do just screwy things sometimes. And so I would say always find a, a, a somebody who's been in the business, has a good reputation. Um, certainly, you know, I... I Call me, I can help you definitely. But um, you know, it, it, just because your brother-in-law sells real estate, you know, it probably would do you and him the best service to, yeah, to not to hire somebody that knows what they're doing because it's it it's not it's there's a lot of moving parts and one little small something that seems like a small detail can be a big problem. Yeah, I mean, we see that in contracts with it can be one word that changes. You know how a deal works the out. Whole thing. We, we had a client recently, a guy that I had been trying to get to let us list some industrial warehouse buildings in Rankin County. It's two buildings, twin buildings. He built them. He outgrew one, built another one. Well, he built the next property. The drive is on one parcel, tax parcel, and the building is on the next. And he sold his drive access to somebody to go along with the building that accesses the docks in the middle of the building. Well, he called me. He was like, well, that company finally made an offer, blah blah blah, and so I started talking to him, and he said, uh, yeah, they're just going, they're buying that that property with the tax parcel. I was like, well, did you get a common area easement to be able to use the warehouse space? He said, well, we talked about it, and he said, you know, if somebody needs it, you know, it's not a problem. He'll just let them use it. I said, yeah, until it becomes a yeah. problem, you know, and then he's going to say, take a hike. I said, so basically, you've probably devalued your second building, maybe By not having a driveway. Yeah, I mean, you've got <laughs> he's got one on the left side that yep. accesses the dock. But nothing grade level. The whole right side of the building had grade level access. Now somebody has to be, hey neighbor, do you like me or you know type thing, and and and, and I told I said you need to go tell them to get the common area access easement before you close. You got to figure that out. And so then he came back. He's like, well, I talked to him. He said he really didn't want to do that. He kind of liked the way it was now. Oh no, yeah. I mean, yeah. contracts don't exist for when things are good. Right. Contracts exactly. exist for when exactly. things go bad. Exactly. So, so it's it's. You can really mess up if you don't have somebody. And I'm even I'm talking about even stock exchange traded companies. We recently yep. were trying to convince uh, uh, an owner in Jackson stock exchange traded company they want to move their corporate office. 
and you know they own they own a lot of you know industrial type facilities all over the country but they don't own any multi-tenant office buildings and they're about to buy a multi-tenant office building and they're like well we are they already made us an offer and we 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 like the price we think it's a good deal so we're going to just move forward how do you know what a good deal is? <laughs> you know, I mean, you, if you have, not in that space. Yeah, you have no, no yeah. you have no knowledge of, of if it's a good deal or a bad deal. And I can almost, almost guarantee, it's probably not a good deal. And just because you, you don't know, you know, what the future costs are going to be. Yeah, it's all rented today. Well, what happens when that tenant moves out in five years? Have you allocated twenty dollars a square foot to refit the space because the layout doesn't work anymore? You know, things like that that you just don't know. And there's nothing wrong with it. I don't know anything about the business that they're in. Right. Don't want to know. But it, it's. You know, not to get I'll get off my my soapbox and preaching, but it just it really amazes me the amount of people that go out and transact in commercial real estate in whatever form or fashion that really, you know, and half the time like you know for me representing that person that's wanting to buy the building it doesn't cost them anything. The person that owns the building is going to pay the transaction. Is glad to pay the fee normally yep. if you bring them a, a tenant or a buyer. I mean, so it's but it's it's I don't know if it's a sense of pride or I think I know what I'm doing type thing if you're in business but it it just I see that all the time. Yeah, it's the ego sometimes that kills and Right. So just out of curiosity too, I know we're kind of bumping up on time here. Sure. <clears throat> um two questions. One, do you guys put together groups like little syndications where you'll have, you know, Neil and Martin and Sure. Neil's neighbor and Martin's neighbor and you know, this groups of people that maybe they don't have enough to go, you know, take down a whole piece by themselves, but as a, a they could a, be a group. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We, we do that. We, um, it, it's, you know, smaller deals. We're not going out and raising million, million, two million, three dollars. It's on, you know, kind of on a per deal basis. If sure. we've got, you know, a property that we like, um, you know, we'll go put in a contract and then say, Hey, this is what we're thinking, you know, to different investors, but certainly always looking for, for more people that, you know, would, would. Sure. Would be I mean, just, in and, and just for, that was for mostly for our listeners too, to say, you know, maybe they say, Hey, I don't have, you know, I can't put, I don't have $3 million to put oh, into a deal, sure, but sure. I've got, you know, 300,000. Oh yeah. We, we've done, the deal we've done and, as small as, you know, hundred thousand increments, you know, sure. depending on the size of the deal might would do, do more than that. I mean, um, cause, cause I have, I am definitely not a real estate expert. Don't pretend to be one. I didn't stay at a holiday Inn express and I'm not going to play <laughs> one. And so, you know, if people ask me about, you know, real estate questions or commercial real estate, I, I'm not, I'm not even comfortable sure, sure. giving people advice. So I would just be like, you need to talk to Micah because right. And, and most of our clients are diversified across. They don't just have their money in, you know, the stocks and bonds, they might have, you know, stocks and bonds is their liquid piece of their portfolio. That's, you know, makes up a piece. And then you have, they might have some real estate that's sure. their mailbox money, right. you know, they're getting an income check every month, but you know, but it's not as liquid. So if they need to sure. generate cash in two days, that's not, avenue. that's not the avenue. That's right. why we have the liquid buckets. Sure. So, sure. Um, but, but certainly, yeah, we, um, we, we, we've got probably, in the ownership piece uh, from various, you know, some being you know, entities that Tom did back in the, you know, 90s, late 80s, 90s. We've still got some of those properties that had investors. Sure. Um, and then today we've, you know, probably since I've been on the company, I think we've done six or seven syndications um, raising anywhere from, you know, 400 to 600, 700,000 of equity. And then we put the deal together and we go get the finance and, um, and, and, you know, the investors will put up, you know, most or, or all of the down payment. And then we you know, typically will guarantee the loan. So the, you know, the investors like that, not to say that 
you know, certain deals we might do different structure, but sure. that's kind of what it's what it's been like up until this point. And it's, we're always looking. You know, Tom, when I first started, Tom said you got to look at a, a hundred deals to buy one, and I said, yeah, right. I mean, that's, yeah, I said, but reality is probably two hundred deals to buy one oh, wow. <laughs> because it's you know the, you don't you don't want to go buy trouble and you want to no. you want to make you yep. know we're not we're not probably buying your your stabilized every day because we're in the business and we feel like we're experts <laughs> um, but but so we, we're buying something that needs fixing or, or, or something yeah that needs so you get value attention. out of it right yeah right you buy it at a discount and then you Stop, built you build it up it and, and yep and, that makes and, sense and, then, you know, and, and most of them we've kept we haven't sold any any yet but um not to say we might not you know try and take some chips off the table at some point and to you know the investors that are in the deal if they maybe get to their point in their life where they want to try and you know but but we the great thing is is you know assume everything goes well you get your check once a quarter and some reports and you don't have to do anything you right know? but you're but just a passive some of them might get to money. a point where they want to you know de-risk and get their get their their down their money back, back. Um, yeah so but it's that's certainly a, a part of our business model that, that we want to try and grow but again it's you know hard to find good property so yeah so <laughs> You know, if our, any of our listeners are, are curious about it, of course, they can always reach out to me and I'll connect them sure. to you, Michael. But go ahead and tell our listeners if, if they have questions or, you know, sure. they're thinking about jumping in, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, we've got a, a website. It's uh, ucrproperties.com. Um, our telephone number is 601-981-6800. Uh, and my email address is Micah, which is spelled M-I-C-A-H at ucrproperties.com and uh and all that information is on the website too but um, certainly you can reach out to me and i um i i i, I do a lot of free work in, in this business by, <laughs> oh, by, no. by, by 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 virtue of you know not every deal you close that you work on sure. and all that so sure. certainly i'm always willing to you know have a conversation with people and and try and impart some knowledge on the, the fact that if you, you give a little you get a little so yeah i mean and look there may be people sitting on property they're trying to sure offload and you could help them with that or yep or they've looking to buy more commercial real estate properties. sure and if it's something we can't help you with we'll certainly point you in the right direction perfect uh neil do you before we Shut down. I know I dominated today, man. I didn't mean to kind of cut you out of the whole conversation. <laughs> I just get carried away sometimes. Um, Neil, any any questions that that you have, or comments, or emotional outbursts? <laughs> no, I'm good. I, 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 I be honest. I sort of enjoyed sitting back and listening today. I, as I, I tape a lot of these over the course of a week, so sometimes it's kind of uh, it's kind of nice just to sit back and listen. Indeed. Uh, Micah, thanks so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. Likewise, I enjoyed it. Uh, for Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this episode or edition, I should say, of uh, or both. I guess both would be applicable. Both is a, yep, both is applicable, yep. Of uh, Mind on My Money, presented by Pinnacle Trust. Don't forget, it's pintrust.com. That's P-I-N-N trust.com. Mention that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on this podcast or on the Oxford Exxon podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. Until next time, take care. <laughs>